Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the mini break. Your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, September 13th, the 2023 season's home stretch. It now officially begins. We're well aware the year's four majors, they're in the rearview mirror. That said, as we look forward, there's still plenty of exciting things on the horizon. We still have a few 1,000 level events on the calendar. We, of course, have the Tour Finals to end the year, but most importantly, hardcore tennis fans know the seeds of a breakout campaign, they're often sprinkled into the final months of any given year. You look back to last season, guys like Holger Runa, who wins the Paris Masters, Ben Shelton, who was having all sorts of challenger success alongside of Chris Eubanks, they brought that momentum into the next season. They turned it into breakout campaigns. Those seeds being sowed, that's what we're going to look for over the next few months here at Cracked Rackets and next week in particular, we're going to break down the biggest storylines. Who are the players you want to be watching most closely? Who are these last few months most significant to for players still out there competing on tour? We're going to get into all of that, some off-court storylines as well. Of course, what I want to do for all of you listeners here on today's show is break down this week's action. Yes, we're all having experiencing, I should say, that post-US Open tennis hangover. That said, there's still some good action I want to bring to all of your attentions, whether it be the two tour-level WTA events in San Diego, in Osaka, whether it's the really fun carry challenger draw, always one of my favorite events on the schedule. It's going on this weekend. It's just that perfect nexus of rising Americans, rising current or former collegiate athletes. It's everything we love here at Crack Racket, so I want to break down the draw for all of you fans today. Of course, there are a few 125Ks, some other challengers. Davis Cup happening this week. We can superficially get into all of it here on today's show. Again, more than anything, I just want to set the list, uh, the scene for you listeners with this podcast. We'll get into the details. We'll dive into to the nitty-gritty as we progress throughout the course of the week. Of course, our Cracked Rackets team is thrilled to get back on the road this weekend. I'm headed to Oklahoma tomorrow for the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation event. We've got eight teams, round-robin action, world team tennis format. Again, a fun nexus of things we love here at Cracked Rackets. Rising stars with college tennis ties, players who are looking to gain some confidence before headed back on the pro circuit. We've got some players who have transitioned now from the pro ranks to the coaching ranks, but are going to be joining us in competition throughout the course of the weekend. 
It's going to be an awesome event. We'll have coverage first ball to last on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel Friday, Saturday. So be sure to tune in to learn more details. Be on the lookout for a podcast coming tomorrow, either on this feed or the Great Shot podcast feed. And, of course, check out all of our Crack Rackets social media channels. We'll be rocking and rolling. I was going to say Twitter, but I guess X, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Again, we're really looking forward to covering this event. We would really appreciate if all of you listeners just tune in for five minutes. You don't have to tune in for the duration of the thing, but give it a look. We promise you'll be hooked the moment you start watching. Again, we're so excited to get to Oklahoma, so excited for this Oklahoma Tennis Foundation event. We'll have coverage Friday, Saturday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, of course, I will, again, be providing a uh, podcast previewing the event, talking about the players, talking about the format more tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. Then, of course, what you all came to listen for here on today's show is, again, what to learn what this week looks like. Let's try that English again leave it all in, but let's bring back the sound effects. Westoff, give me a rewind sound effect, please. What all of you, of course, are listening for here today is for a look at this week's schedule at the WTA ATP tour levels, what's going on elsewhere in the world. So, of course, that is what I will be providing for all of you on this episode. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our dear friends at tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products at the best prices in the tennis world. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. Let's talk about this post-US Open week of tennis we have in front of us. Let's start with an event, and all of these events are already underway, but let's start with the most interesting event of the week. Unequivocally, it's the WTA 500 happening in San Diego, and I love the team in San Diego. Love Lorne Kuhl, who I believe is, if not tournament director, certainly high up there and helping facilitate this sort of event. Obviously, really appreciate the Barnes Tennis Facility. We got to go there for the girls' 16s, 18s national championships. The entire team who helped promote the event, they are wonderful people. I say that disclaimer to say this is not a criticism of them. If you're offered a tournament, you take the week you're given. It does feel a little fast to have a 500-level event this close to the finish line of the U.S. Open, particularly, you know, given the fact that actually it's so funny. I can see both sides of the argument, but given the fact that, again, the WTA Tour Finals race is the most significant, I would say, storyline from a big-picture tennis perspective down the season's home stretch. Who are the eight best players going to be? Who's going to be competing at those Tour Finals in Cancun, we learned, for the WTA recently? You'd love to see all the big dogs in action, right? You'd like to hope all of them would try to consolidate their spots. They'd all compete at this 500-level event, again, at this beautiful venue in San Diego, if the schedule was more accommodating. But look, if you make the back half of the second week of the U.S. Open, if you're a semifinalist, certainly it's really difficult to try and compete in back-to-back events. Ask Beatrice Haddad Maya, who went from semifinals of Roland Garros to losing first round, I believe, in Birmingham the subsequent week, how difficult that transition can be to fly across the country and have to acclimate to a new surface, have to acclimate to, you know, these conditions. Again, it's a tough spot on the calendar, and yet 
the argument against that, and I like to present both sides of the arguments for all of you listeners, is look at the players we have in the field. Someone like an An Jabeur who wasn't healthy going into the U.S. Open, grinds her way to round number four, but has now had a full week off before getting to compete this week. And right now, Jabeur, of course, sitting in eighth place in the points race, nursing about a 500-point lead over Madison Keys with, again, still some Europe action to play uh, in indoor hard courts there. I know we've got Guadalajara later. Later on in the year as well. It's twofold. This is one of the big chunks of points left on the calendar, and you would have loved to see players like Keys, who again making the semifinals, no chance she's going to compete at an event like this. Uh, you would have loved to see her in action, Amukova, who's seventh, but she's sitting a little bit more comfortably. I'm sure she would have loved a shot at getting points, but again, she makes the semifinals. No way she's going to be competing here this week. That said, Again, the flip side, any player who wants to make a push towards the year-end finals, who is highly ranked, who was eliminated a little bit earlier in the event, they have had a full week to fly over. And, you know, again, you look at the players who are competing here this week. You have a Jabur, you have a Maria Sakari, who I think is essential to point out, given how disappointing her slams were more broadly. And yes, I know how difficult the draws were, but, you know, for Sakari to lose first round in uh, the fashion that she did at the U.S. Open to uh, Rebecca Masarova for her to lose first round Wimbledon, first round Roland Garros. Again, I know what the draws were. She's fighting for her top 10 life. Right now, Maria Sakkari currently sitting at nine in the live rankings, 500 points up on Caroline Garcia in 10th. But you look for Sakkari, she's 15th in the points race here this year. And again, not a ton of season left, and she still has some serious pockets of points to defend, you know, let alone qualify for another year-end finals, as I'm sure she would love to do. You have significant names. I mean, you look right now in the top 20 of the rankings, you had two, four, uh, let's see, six, eight, nine of the top 20 players in the world competing this week. Three of them already eliminated for what it's worth. You have uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova knocked out 7-5 in the third by Yelena Ostapenko, a quarterfinalist who did make the trip to come compete in San Diego. And by the way, I understand why Ostapenko made that decision. She's currently sitting at 16th in the live rankings. She's 12th in the points race and you know, wins a couple more matches. Now she's starting to get at 10th overall in the points race. Now she's not only making the year-end finals push, but maybe making a top 10 rankings push down the season's home stretch. And, you know, I've said this, I said this throughout the course of the U.S. Open. Obviously, the notable results were the slams for Ostapenko, quarterfinals U.S., quarterfinal Australian Open. But, you know, if she has a strong ending to her season, she'll probably finish with her second most wins ever in a year following only 2017. And, you know, I said this yesterday with David Kane. I think she's the 10th best player in the world right now, given we know her best can beat anyone on any given day. We saw that against Iga in New York. We saw that against Coco, certainly in Australia. You just know that about the big hitting Ostapenko, how dangerous she can be for her to come over, play this event, Get a three-set win over a very much informed Alexandrova, who, by the way, has top 20, 15 aspirations in mind right now. She's sitting at 19 in the live rankings, three off her career high, coming off of a final in Cleveland the week before the U.S. Open. Again, ECAT's played really well of late. It's a really nice follow-up first-round win from Ostapenko, who... I mean, both of them, lime drive, aggressive, take the racket out of your hand. Tennis, Ostapenko was just better on the return of serve in this match. And you've had a lot of good results already. Again, there are a lot of big players looking for some confidence 
competing this week in San Diego. Just to rapid fire through the results because there were a lot of fun ones. Anastasia Potapova, who certainly after the run she had Miami, Indian Wells, making what quarterfinals, I believe, at both of those events, had some high uh, quarterfinals Miami, excuse me, what was it? It was the final winning the title at, in Linz the prior week. That got people particularly excited. Just the cascading run, I suppose. Um, look, disappointing North American hardcore stretch for her. She went 1-4 overall. Losses to Bencic, Muhova, Vondrusova, and Tossin, which, again, in a vacuum, neither is particularly poor. But 1-4 for someone who's trying to make a top 20 push is just not... It's not a feasible ask if you're, if that's the record you produce. And so for her to right the ship, get a tricky 6-4 victory over the always dangerous big-hitting Alicia Parks, very impressive win for Ponopova, very impressive win for Katie Volinets, the young American knocking out 2023 Junior Wimbledon champion, Girls 18's national champion, Claire Vey Gunaway, uh, 6-2 in the third. Man, I wish we could watch more of Parks, though, and Gunway compete at this level because, again, Parks' serve keeps her in every match. Clary's just got it, and if you haven't seen her compete yet, again, just the weapons aren't quite— no, it's not fair to say they're not quite consistent enough. It's that she's still searching a little bit for what's plan A, what's plan B, because for Gunaway, so frequently at the junior level, she just dominates with her first serve and overwhelms opponents— Gunaway could do a bunch of different things well. If you haven't seen her compete, obviously how well she moves, how well she hits the serve stand out, but she's really fluid in and out of her corners, hits the backhand on the run particularly well, can volley comfortably, likes to mix in the slice, and I like how low her backhand slice stays. Again, it speaks to the physicality of Katie Valinets, who just has quietly gone about consolidating uh, her spot in the rankings. Although, after a difficult summer for Valinets to qualify for the U.S. Open, now get a win here over Gunaway. Just sort of rights the ship uh, for Valinets, who's back up to number 103 now in the live rankings. Good win for the now 21-year-old American, but... You know, again, as we so much for a rapid fire here. How about Sonia Kennan? She's just playing top 100 ball again. Kennan 4-4 four and four, knocks out the still struggling Veronica Kudermatova, but Kennan straight up back up to number 79 in the live ranking. She's back in the mix. She's you know, shouldn't need wild cards moving forward, certainly to get into the slams, but, you know, now she'll start to work her way back into the 1,000 level events, the 500s, and we all know how dangerous Sonia Kennan can be, whether it was at Wimbledon beating a Coco Golf, whether it was, you know, again, playing a really fun three-set match with Kasakina in New York in that second round. I think Kennan's playing top 50 tennis again. It's win, not if she gets back in the mix. And she has a real opportunity to do so. She's going to take on Volley Nets in round number two. She wins that match. Now she's back up to 72 in the world. Is it realistic to say Sonia Kennan is back? You know what? Make that one of our storylines, a mini storyline we've stumbled upon here on today's mini break podcast. Sonia Kennan, top 50 watch. I'm actually going to talk top Americans, I think, on the GSP at some point this week, maybe even as soon as tomorrow. Can Kennan put herself back in that top 50 mix by the end of the year? Indoor hardcore events. Obviously, she's an Australian Open champion. The variety she plays with, I think, translates across surfaces you know again she moves pretty well everywhere she's clearly getting more fit more comfortable I would say in and out of her corner she just looks more comfortable against the speed as well again Valinets isn't someone with overwhelming weapons Valinets is going to give Kenan time to get into her bag of tricks 
I think Kennan gets through that one, and then Kennan faces the winner of Jabir Potapova in the quarterfinals. How juicy is that matchup in San Diego? You know what? Leave it in. I rescind the tough—well, it is still a tough spot on the calendar for San Diego because fans are a little tennis hungover, but this draw has informed me that this—I mean, again, you knew this always because San Diego's always going to show up, but— Get excited. This is the event to watch this week. And again, your other winners so far, Kami Osorio, Emma Navarro, Alexandra Sasnovich, all coming from qualifying to earn first-round victories. Uh, for Sasnovich in particular, given she had struggled, fall, was about to fall outside of the top 100, going into Cleveland prior to the U.S. Open. She's now back up to number 88, so at least gets to hold on to her spot after what has been a year of struggles. But a good victory for her, 6-2 in the third over Belinda Bencic, who, again, it's the weirdest 31-14 and 14 season I've ever seen. We can talk about it more uh, as we look at some of the biggest storylines down the season's home stretch next week. But, you know, other winners, Haddad Maya, Kostyuk, Kalinina, three sets over Pliskova. You had wins from the Americans, Collins, Sloan, Stevens as well. And look, moving forward, I mean, Maria Sakari and Caroline Garcia are in the same boat of, hey, we got points to defend. And we don't want to fall out of the top 10 of the rankings. And, you know, again, Garcia's the two seed. She's 4-3 and three in her career against Sloan, who she'll face in her opening match here. That is a tricky one for a Garcia, who just looked out of sorts in New York. Uh, Sakari versus Sorio, that's a really fun one. For both Emma Navarro, Alexandra Sasnovich, a massive opportunity to make a quarterfinal at this 500-level event. And obviously for Emma Navarro, I know it was a disappointing U.S. Open for her by her standards, but gets a win uh, in her round number one match over Paolini after coming through qualifying. She beats uh, in what is, again, a very winnable match against Sasnovich. She'll be up to a new career high uh, of number what? Of number 52 in the live rankings and you know, again, why is this match interesting? Why should it be on your radar? Because these two played in Cleveland, and Navarro was up 5-love in the third, and she ended up losing that set 7-5. Keep an eye on that one. Could get sneaky, spicy, Haddad Maya Kostyuk in Kalinina versus struggling Krejcikova, another player looking to regain any sort of form. That's a tricky opening match for her. Ostapenko, Collins, let's change balls every three games. Stevens, Garcia, I mean... Again, this is a post-U.S. Open draw, and how many top 50 players do we still have alive in the event? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. 11 top 50 players still alive in this event. The U.S. Open ended last week. Come on now. Tennis keeps you occupied. It keeps you entertained, and that's why we rock and roll every day here on the Mini Break Podcast. If you're ever wondering, how do I motivate myself to get up to talk about tennis the week after the U.S. Open? We spend the first two days reflect of the week reflecting. Then we get to turn our attention to what's exciting, what's new, what's on the horizon, and San Diego's what's on the horizon this week. That's the event you clear the schedule, make time for as a tennis fan. Your favorite right now, according to Tennis Abstract, is Jabir, 25% chance. Then Sakari still, 18-4. Ostapenko, 11. 8, Krechikova 9-8, but they're essentially saying the bottom half of the draw, which again features top 50 players in Haddad Maya, Krechikova, Ostapenko, Garcia, Collins, Kostyuk, Stevens. Ugh. Come on now. I mean, yeah, it's hilarious. The only, I guess there are only three top 50 players left in the top half of the draw, Jabir, Potapova, Sakari. 
So eight left. I must have counted wrong. The eight players remaining in the bottom half of the draw are all top 50 players, right? Danielle Collins is still a top 50 player. I don't think I got that wrong. No, she's 40 in the live rankings. Let's roll. Uh, Let's have ourselves a week. I mean, come on now. I guess if you're going to make time for anything, make it the bottom half of the San Diego draw. Eight top 50 players remaining. And remember, the U.S. Open just finished last week. You have a quarterfinalist in Ostapenko who made the trip. Player from the fourth round in Anj Jabur. Hadad Maya, slam semi-finalist earlier this week. Emma Navarro, former NCAA champion. Sonia Kennan, former slam champion. Sloane Stevens, former slam champion. Danielle Collins, former slam finalist. Come on now. Again, my pitch is done. 15 minutes on San Diego. That's the event of the week. But of course, there is other tour-level action happening on the WTA side of things. No ATP tour-level events this week. That's because we've got Davis Cup going on and Boy, I guess here's my quick Davis Cup tangent because I didn't watch a ton today. We'll do a full Davis Cup show at some point this week, locking in on the results. But two that stood out to me, three that stood out to me, college-related. Shout out Lexi Galarno, dear friend of the program, a fellow AG. So you know Alexis Galarno, Alex Gruskin, AG stick together. I've said that lesson before, the former NC State All-American. He gets a straight set win over Lorenzo Sinego, and then... A guy I've been talking about, you know, I've talked about both these guys for a while. Former Kentucky All-American Gab Diallo, straight set win over Lorenzo Musetti. Now, you know, you look at these two guys, Galarno, who has continued to climb the rankings. He's currently sitting at 200 in the live rankings, reached his career high of 162 earlier this year, but a guy who has had a lot of challenger success this season. Gab Diallo, currently sitting at 158 in the live rankings, 26 spots off his career high is the 21-year-old, but... You see him, the way he moves at his size, six seven. how easy the power is, how simple and fluid the technique is. Again, it just feels like we are... Uh, Gab Diallo is going to be one of my breakout players of 2024. We'll just spoil that December podcast now. He's going to be the next college guy to have an eye-popping result that will have everyone going, wow, we should be talking more about the college pathway. And it's like, we talk about it all the time here at Cracked Racket. So... Maybe you should be talking about it more, next person who hypothesizes that. Anyways, to see them both be top 50 players, I think for Galarno, it was the biggest win of his career. I think pretty similar for Diallo as well. I mean, he beat Lorenzo Musetti in straight sets. Musetti's a top 30 player in the world. It was on indoor hard courts, which are always going to benefit the big server, particularly going into against a one-handed backhand. It's a tough matchup for Musetti. There are tough conditions for Musetti, but... Again, I saw it. I also saw a shout-out to another former college guy who reached the fourth round of a major for the first time in New York. Borna Goyo rides that momentum to a straight-set victory over Francis Tiafo. Now another college guy, Mackie McDonald, got a big win over the talented teenager Dino Prismich. And then uh, the U.S. won the double. Shout-out to two more college guys, Krejcik, Rajiv Ram. I guess this is your college update. Uh, and by the way, if you want to know how players with college ties do each and every week, Go check, you know, we can pause the podcast right now. Go check out our Great Shot podcast feed. Go subscribe to it. Our summer editions of The Deciding Point, John Parsons and I break down the results every week of the countless players with college ties out there competing in the tennis world. Anyways, a lot of them are playing in Davis Cup this week. And certainly it was fun to see Mackie, Goyo, Diallo, Galarno, Rajiv and Krejcik, all these guys get wins uh, to kick things off. Obviously, for the college guys to be back in a team environment, I think it brings out their best. 
Anyways, there's a little Davis Cup tangent uh, for all of you, I suppose. I do want to talk about the other WTA Tour-level event, though, in Osaka. So we'll get us back on track here now. And again, we'll focus more on the Davis Cup a little bit later in the week. You look at Osaka— couple of top players, certainly in the world, in action. You've got Ju Lin, the number one seed, who, of course, won a title in Hua Hin earlier this season. She's been floating near her career high in the top 40 all year long, currently comes into the week at 35 in the world, coming off of semifinals in Cleveland. Third round loss in three sets to Belinda Bencic at the U.S. Open, but, of course, she beats Azarenka there. As such, it's no surprise to learn, uh, or you would expect, excuse me, her to be the favorite right now, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast, and yet, remarkably, that favorite is Anna Kalinskaya. Now, I think a lot of that has to do with how wide open the draw is. Uh, in that bottom half of the draw, Kalinskaya, a 39.2% chance of winning the event. That's because there's no other seeds left in the event, and I believe no, uh, no one other – no, I don't think any other top 100 players left in that bottom half of the draw either – that makes sense because in the top half of the draw in Osaka, you've got Ju Lin, you've got the incredibly talented 21-year-old from China, Wang Xinyu, who I've talked so much about over the last three weeks, Yulia Putenseva over in that top half of the draw as well. Again, we've seen some upsets. Tatiana Maria knocked out 7-6 in the third by Pana Udvardi, so I suppose the 35-year-old German's Things slowing down a little bit for her. Harriet Dart, really impressive 6-2 in the third win over Linda Fruvertova when Dart's connecting with the ball well. She's just play, she plays exceptional front foot tennis. But for me, the name to watch is Ashlyn Kruger. And you look for Kruger, who reached a career high of number 108 earlier this season. For the uh, She reaches the quarterfinals of this event, wins over Bandel, over Ponche. You look for her in her career at the tour level. Uh, I believe, and I don't want to get this incorrect, yeah, first quarterfinal for her in her career. You're going to see that tweet here in a moment. Or should I say you'll see a tweet with the accurate number, which of course would be second career quarterfinal that I now see uh, she reaches the quarterfinals in Den Bosch earlier this season. Nevertheless, if you know my thoughts, if you've heard them before, Kruger hits a massive ball. And I don't know if the movement is quite where it needs to be because when she is pressured by pace, again, can get that ball into her body. Obviously far more comfortable like any player is when her feet are set. But I like her first step. Again, I think she has continued to become more fluid in and out of corners. And when I say I don't like her movement, it's not that I think she's slow. It's that, you know, again, it can get a little bit robotic, a little bit heavy in those corners. And that's where, you know, again, trying to hit herself out of problems as opposed to a 75% sort of ball to work your way back in. Nevertheless, good wins for Kruger this week. She's into the quarterfinals. She'll take on Kalinskaya. I think Ju Lin is going to face Wang Xinyu in the semifinals. I think the winner of that is going to win the title of this event. And for what it's worth, if you add up the percentages, the uh, according to Tennis Abstract, you know, Ju Lin, Wang Xinyu, Putenseva, who'd all likely have to go through one another, their percentages add up higher than the percentages you would see in the bottom half of the draw. So, you know, again, Tennis Abstract is saying Kalinskaya has the easiest path, so she's most likely to win. I'm going to lean Ju Lin to take the title this week in Osaka. Oh, no, I'm going to go with Wang Xinyu. Give her that signature title run in what has been a signature breakout season. By the way, if you're asking me who do I think is going to win the title right now in San Diego, so I don't think I mentioned that earlier. Oh, man. 
it's a really good draw. I don't know if you heard me say it. Eight top 50 players all in the bottom half of the draw as we approach the round of 16. The zag would be Sakari. I'm not doing that. Do I go Ostapenko? The conditions are so great for Ostapenko and Collins because those are slow hard courts in San Diego. So both of them have time to get into their bag of tricks. Yep, I'm going with the winner of Ostapenko Collins to win the title. That's my bold take, an unseeded player, one of Ostapenko Collins winning the title in San Diego. Those are, again, your two tour-level events we have on the calendar anywhere, but... We have Davis Cup, which I alluded to earlier. We also have the Carry Challenger on the men's side. That's where I want to finish, I suppose, today's show because uh, that draw is just everything we love here at Cracked Rackets. And obviously, you look at the big names in the draw, top seed Rinki Hijikata, the former UNC All-American, making his first fourth round in singles at a major before getting knocked out by Francis Tiafo in straight sets. He's into the top 90 for the first time in his career. Of course, he also won the Australian Open doubles title earlier this season. It's been a year first for Hijikata. Now he's back in home territory. Again, Cary, North Carolina, I don't know exactly how far it is from Chapel Hill, but I've made that drive, which means it's feasible. Uh, he is back in carry. He's the top seed, a straight set win in his opening round over rising Duke sophomore lefty Pedro Rodinas, who is physical, has some serious weapons. That's a good win for Rinky. Uh, obviously, a guy who's come to my attention, Pedro Vivez, the rising TCU junior who didn't play in the NCAA semifinal last season. Now, that had a lot to do with how loaded that TCU roster was. But, you know, for Vivez to come through qualifying, get a win over a guy in Cannon Kingsley, who's been an Ohio State All-American and made the Lexington Challenger final earlier this year. Vivez gets through that, gets a win in the first round as well. He'll now match up with Bernard Tomich, who knocked out Kingsley in his opening round of play. I mean, the college ties are everywhere. I think every player, Hichikata, UNC, Langmo, Miami, Vivez, TCU, Tomich, nowhere, but fourth-seeded Adam Walton, who, of course, has rapidly ascended into the top 250 of both the singles and doubles rankings. He's taken on former A&M All-American Patrick Kipson, former NCAA singles champ for Virginia, Ty Kwiatkowski, taken on former Tennessee standout, Tennis Sandgren. Garrett Johns of Duke qualifies into the event, 7-6 in the third. He knocks out the talented teenager, young American Darwin Blanche. Uh, He's going to take on Zach Sfida, who got an impressive three-set win over Ethan Quinn. Toby Samuel, the South Carolina All-American, who I believe is the highest-ranked player right now in college tennis. Uh, He... Gets a, a three-set win over Braden Schnur, a former UNC All-American in round one. He'll take on Marchenko in round two. Of course, you have second-seeded Alex Mickelson, who gets to forego college altogether as he's on the precipice of a top 100 breakthrough. Mickelson, first-round win over Maxime Janvier. You look for Alex Mickelson right now. He is currently sitting at 115 in the live rankings. A title this week would bring him into the top 105, but even a title this week, he'd still be a little short. Still, Kennan top 50 watch. Kruger, Mickelson, top 100 watch. Those are young Americans. Oh, I mean, Kennan is still a young American, but those are American ranking jumps, I suppose. For now, some mini storylines for all of you to keep an eye on. According to Tennis Abstract, Mickelson's the favorite, 28.7%. Then you have Rinky, 23.3%. Svida, of course, the two-time Kalamazoo champion who just continues to 
be more and more physical in every match that I see him play. Qualified at the U.S. Open before a tight four-set loss to a top 30 player in Francisco Sarundolo. This is one of those weeks. Check out Challenger TV. Check out the live stream. Check out these matches. They're all exceptional. Again, you want to know who are the next batch of players with college ties rising up the rankings. You'll love that Toby Samuel serve in forehand. You'll love... I mean, the physicality of a Garrett Johns, the physicality of an Adam Walton, the speed of a Pedro Vivez. By the way, you have I, – I mean, again, it, it, it's a great event. It, it's, a, it's a cracked racket sort of event. And so in a week where there are, I believe, five, maybe six different challengers on the schedule. By the way, there's a challenger in France that features Richard Gasquet, Juan Manuel Sarundolo, a former ATP title winners in action. You've got uh, the action in China, which is where we're headed, by the way, from the tour in a little bit. Alexander Shevchenko, Jomi Munar in action in Poland. It's a lot of good tennis on the calendar. Again, don't sleep on uh, – the ATP side of things just because there are no tour-level events. And then, by the way, I mentioned the two tour-level events on the women's side. We also have a bunch of 125s. You've got players like Anna Bogdan, uh, Jacqueline Christian, who's trying to work her way back from injury, Sarah Irani, Anna Bondar, former Vanderbilt standout, Astra Sharma. They're all in action at the 125K in Bucharest. And you look for Sharma. I believe Astra Sharma is getting closer and closer uh, to re-entering the top 100 of the rankings. You look, uh, of course, at the other 125K event. You've got a few upsets. I believe top seed Shmidlova, Balsova, who's a former Oklahoma State standout, already knocked out, but, you know, former world number one, Delma Golfi, the, I always say, most underrated 21 and under player in the top 100, Mira Andriva's older sister, Erica, uh, who we don't talk about, but has had a ton of success for someone her age. She's in the draw. Kaya Yuvan, uh, obviously got to build some momentum in New York, qualifying, reaching the third round there. She's the sixth seed, and you know, draw has really opened up for Yuvon. She's a 32.5% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. You've got former top 30 player in Tamara Zidanzik also in the draw as well. Of course, this event on clay, uh, which is where Zidanzik had her breakthrough French Open result. That's everything on the calendar this week. Again, the things we're probably going to be focused on most, I would imagine, will be the WTA San Diego action, that ATP challenger in Cary, and then, of course, Davis Cup will be our focus. But again, Friday, Saturday, Oklahoma Tennis Foundation event. You'll be able to watch it on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. We'll have a full primer on that event for all of you tomorrow here on this show. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the f- of an job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. If you aren't already, like, rate, subscribe, review, not only to this show, but to the Great Shot Podcast, the Cracked Interviews Podcast feed, and everything we're doing here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, a shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel West, off our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. The season's home stretch has officially begun. We say goodbye for now, but you know what we always say? That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>